Hey, Founding Fast Nation, this is Clay Frost, your host. Today we have a very special guest, Jeremy Wolf. Uh, I'll let him get into everything that he's doing, all the fun stuff that he's got going on. But first and foremost, Jeremy, I want to hear your definition of what thriving is. What, is, what does it mean to you to thrive? Thriving means I th- you can go to bed at night happy with the work you did during the day, and you can wake up excited to do it the next day. I like that. Opposite of thriving, just not liking it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The opposite of thriving is you wake up hating what you're doing during the day and you go to sleep dreading the next day. That's not, that's not thriving. That's not fun. Um, Tell us a little bit, a little bit about yourself, Jeremy. You told me a little bit about your journey through college, being drafted. Who are you? What do you do? I'm Jeremy Wolf. I'm the executive director of More Than Baseball, which is a nonprofit organization built to help minor league baseball players get housing, food, equipment, career services, financial guidance, uh, mental health coaching. Um, I used to play minor league baseball with the New York Mets. I played from 2016 to 2017. Um, played college baseball at Trinity University, and now I'm on the Olympic baseball team for Team Israel. Uh, so we were, we were uh, getting ready for, for Tokyo this summer, but it got pushed back too. To next summer so uh baseball is who i am it's what i do it's every all my friends are baseball players it's it's it it is um i, I used to say as a baseball player it was I, I used to say that i was just a guy who played baseball and so when it was taken away or eventually when my career ended i wouldn't be upset transferring into something else because it wasn't my identifier mm-hmm. uh, but now that it's become my work it is it i miss it a lot it is my I miss watching it. I don't miss playing it. That's <laughs> um, but what about Team Israel? Well, I mean, that's a cool experience. Like, I love doing that. I love the guys. I love the team. But, like, 140 games a year or 70 oh, that, that's games a year, that's sure. not fun. But a tournament in, you know, we just played in Europe and uh, we did amazing things like that. It's, that's the dream. You do the, You go through the grind of playing minor league baseball for the opportunity to play to represent mm-hmm. a country. Uh, I think that's, I think it's, it, it's been the coolest experience of my life to be part of that. And so, uh, but now, now what's funny is that uh, I was going to get ready to play an independent ball season. And then I started throwing again. And it's like, <laughs> wow. Uh, and I started hitting again. I go, wow, I'm not, I'm not built for this anymore. Uh, you know, so now it's fun, but I, I'm excited. I was excited to play indie ball this year. And then I was excited for Tokyo, but it is what it is. Another pushback. Um, when it comes to it, when did you know that baseball was like, I love this. This is, this is my thing. What, when, how old were you? When did you realize? I was on my first like T-ball team at four. I think. And uh, I played one year of, of high school football. I was a yeah. freshman in high school. Uh, grandma said Jews don't play football, so I didn't. And then – uh, I didn't continue with that. And then uh, I played one, uh, two seasons of basketball, seventh grade basketball and eighth grade basketball in middle school. And that every, every, everything else was baseball. I never played anything else. It was what I really enjoyed doing. It was, I found an immense amount of joy in it for 20 years. And what about it? I, Just... could, eat, I could eat during the game. No, I, <laughs> uh, I, enjoy, I enjoy that it wasn't based on time. Okay. The, the playing innings uh, was actually from a really young age. I remember noticing that, you know, 
baseball is not a time sport. There's no 10 seconds left on the shot clock kind of thing. And so because of that, it kind of allows you to relax. Uh, it kind of allows you to kind of focus on the, the inning, right? Instead of watching the clock go down, it was, well, I'm in the seventh inning. Um, and you can kind of be in the moment a little bit better. So from a very young age, I was always in tune to um, the slowness of baseball. And I actually found comfort in like the pace of it. Uh, you know, I've then, never heard anyone describe it like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. It's a, no, no, no. It's cool. It's, it, it's interesting. I read, I read a story a few years ago that, you know, it kind of brought it all home. It was kind of about how you can just go watch a baseball game and it's, it's so different than watching any other sport. And so I, I do enjoy that, that aspect of it. Watching on TV is God awful boring though. And playing the video game is terrible, but, but going to a game and being in that environment and listening to the sounds of it, I, there's nothing better than that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually completely agree with that. I love playing it. I played it all growing up. I had a batting cage in my backyard and everything. And then uh, I love being going to games. Like we have a local team, the Orem Owls and the Salt Lake Bees. And we go, the, both of them are in the, uh, they're both of the Angels organization. I'm not 100% sure, but we'd, we'd go there and play and watch. And that's fun. But watching on TV just is, is not nearly as fun. Unless it's like a World Series and big or something, but it's, it's just different. I like that. Um, you, you went through this kind of journey uh, being drafted. Um, I don't know. You, you were to the Mets, and then you kind of had some ups and downs experiences there, and then that's what caused you to start this more than baseball. Tell us a little bit about that journey. What did you experience? What was it like? And how did it drive you into this business that you've not now started? Yeah, yeah. In twenty in twenty sixteen, I was a, a senior at, at at Trinity University, and uh, before the season started, I got hit in the face with a ball. I broke my orbital. I broke my cheekbone. I broke my nose and my jaw, um, and I didn't think I was going to play that year. And so already, I I had turned off the fact that I was ever going to play baseball again. But then I didn't end up having the, the eye surgery to kind of fix the, the plate in the back of my eye. Uh, like this bone, I, I cracked the bone that holds kind of the eye in place. And they're like, mm -hmm. yeah, you're not going to need surgery. You can play in when, whenever the season starts. And so I was cool. like, I get this last, I didn't think I was going to play this year. And now I get this last opportunity to, to play baseball. It's going to be the best year ever. All my, you know, I, it's 10 seniors in the starting lineup. And then the whole pitching staff was seniors. And it was just, you know, 15 best friends playing baseball. We all lived together and we all played together and it was awesome. Yeah. Uh, for four years, we had all done that. And so this was our year to be national champions. And I played this entire year thinking it would, I'm lucky for the opportunity to play. I didn't think I was going to, and this yeah. is definitely going to be my last year, unless I hit 450 with 15 home runs and 80 RBIs and we may win the national championship and just someone takes a chance on me. Um, and so I was like, no way I'm going to play baseball after this. I'll just enjoy it while I can. Uh, yeah. When the national championship season ends, and then uh, I got drafted about four days later. And so I had already – so twice now I had already thought my career had ended. Uh, and so, you know, you go into professional baseball as a Division three player, and you're like, holy shit, like imposter syndrome set in. And not thinking I was good enough. And mm – -hmm. I couldn't get my footing. I was just the big fish in the small pond. And now I'm the tiniest fish turd in the biggest <laughs> pond of professional baseball. And 
mentally you don't think you're worthy enough for the opportunity. And I, mm-hmm. and my, in my first year, I finally got comfortable towards the end of the year. I started playing, I started playing really well. I was playing first base. I never played infield before. And so like every day was just this new, exciting uh, yeah. challenge for me. Uh, played 2016, played, played well and enough to come back the next year, went to spring training. Uh, and that was like eight, you know, 80, you know, let's see in minor league baseball, there's a hundred and, you know, 50, 60, 70 minor league baseball players vying for 25 spots in the major leagues, maybe yeah. even five spots in the major leagues because 20 guys are, you know, going to be there. Um, and so I, throughout my career, I, it was uh, this, this con- internal conflict of I'm good enough to be here and, and I can prove it versus I'm not worthy enough to be here. And I'm hitting batting practice with Lucas Duda and he's sitting at a hundred feet further than me. And I'm just never going to be this big, strong guy. I'm never going to be this good. And so I can never, there was always this conflict and I, it, I was never comfortable, you know, in that environment where I constantly was being watched mm. and every I made every conversation I had was being graded and it just wasn't a good environment for me personally to kind of find that where I how good I could get I just wasn't mentally strong as I wanted to be looking back on it now I there are obviously things I would do differently but in the moment you're you're not eating well because the food after games isn't nutritious food and and so you try to fill your stomach with whatever you can find after you drive, when you drive back to the hotel or, or, you know, your Mm -hmm. house. Um, I was more focused on how am I going to make money to pay for my equipment um, than, you know, focusing on, on my performance on the field. And, And these are just things that a lot of guys go through of, of the environment itself isn't built for everybody. Yeah. The environment is built for first through fifth rounders because that's the majority of, of major leaguers. But the guys that do sneak through are guys that go, you know what, it sucks, but I'm going to keep the blinders on and I'm going to keep going forward. And so when I got injured and when I got released, there was this internal – there was a way I knew I wanted to give back, and it was to give back to the guy like me who all they wanted to do was focus on playing and not his recovery, and, and not trying to find someone who will listen to his problems, who understands his problems. You know, mm-hmm. there was a, a, we had like a mental skills coach, but he never played professional baseball. And so our mental skills coach couldn't relate to these issues that I was going through. Guys on your team, you have these conversations sometimes, but if I'm going to talk to an outfielder about how I'm struggling, well, me and him are competing for the same job. And so there's no teamwork. It's not a built, it's not an environment built on, on comfort. It's an environment where the the cream rises to the top and the, and the strongest survive. And I get that. That's the way that it's built. And that's the way that you can, you can help get talent from the bottom to the top. And I totally understand, but there was these, these issues I was having mentally, the depression and the anxiety and, and this, this constant need to uh, try to find comfort um, and I knew that we just needed to build a network of players helping each other, a network of companies coming back and helping players, and a network of mental health coaches being able to help support a vast group of players. And so more than baseball was just a culmination of all the issues within professional baseball that we 
that uh, that myself and Simon Rosenblum Larson, who's in with the Rays right now, was a 19th round pick. I was a 31st round pick, and Slade Heathcott, our other partner, was a first round pick. Uh, mm-hmm. We just got Chase Darnot, who um, was a 12-year minor leaguer and got up to the big leagues a few times. Uh, Slade got up to the big leagues in 2015 with the Yankees. Um, you know, Simon's working his way up, and and I hope he gets there in the next couple of years. And and I'm I'm kind of just steering the ship to make sure that if there's something that we can do to help support a player on an individual basis, we're going to do it because we can support him. Yes. Getting equipment, but also so that he doesn't hate himself when he goes to sleep. He's not depressed. He's not sleeping poorly that so we can make sure he's focusing solely on baseball because everything else is taken care of. And he knows that he's going to jump into something that's going to help support his life and, and aspirations after his career is over. And so we built this network because there is no network in professional baseball and that's unfortunate but if you want something done right you do it yourself and so yep i i wanted something like this for when i was playing and now that i'm not playing anymore we can kind of create this environment that'll help support any of these athletes and then use these athletes to go back into the community and show that baseball has value at in the little league through high school through college ranks where it or internationally where I've done stuff in Israel and we're doing stuff in the Dominican Republic and there's, there's little leagues in Africa that we support and England's growing its baseball scene. And so the more people that have baseball, the more people that can learn these lessons that only baseball can teach. Cool. I like that a lot. It sounds like kind of taking it back to your thriving definition. You're just trying to help them thrive. So they love what they do. They wake up excited instead of wondering, Oh man, am I going to get a mattress ever? Or yeah. is, is this ever going to work out for me? Guys shouldn't have the opportunity. Guys shouldn't be forced to sleep on an air mattress because they can't afford a regular mattress. They're too afraid to go to their team to say, hey, can you help me get a mattress? And they might not have family who can support them. And so mm-hmm. if a mattress is going to help him play better, then let's find a way to get him an affordable mattress. And I was really looking forward to playing professional baseball this year because I miss hitting. Like I miss taking batting practice and I miss yeah. – just a 2-0 count, just swinging as hard as I can. Uh, those who watch me play know that. But um, I was excited for how more than baseball can actually support a team during the season. I was actually excited for the case study that can be done from playing professional baseball, uh, yeah. having, this, having this for them. Definitely. Do sleep, diet, everything. I'm obviously a big proponent of the mental game, the mental aspect of it, but I know Demi, like there's – you're not sleeping, you're not eating, you're, you're always worried and always distracted. You're, it's going to be really tough to stay focused and to be able to perform well. And, and right. in practice, in training, in, in games, right. it's tough. Right, right. So if I'm, if, I'm a, if I'm in player development for the Arizona Diamondbacks mm-hmm. and I go, well, my kids aren't – I know they can play better. What are the factors that can help these, these, this whole team play better? Well, how are each of them sleeping? Well, we can provide them with affordable whoop bands so that they can measure their recovery and their sleep performance. Hey, we got to talk about that because Love whoop, man. I'm thinking about investing. Um, but we can get a discount on that for, for players. We can, um, if, if, if a player development director went to where these guys live, they'd be shocked. And most of these guys are sleeping on air mattresses. There's six, seven, eight, nine to an apartment. There's one bathroom that you wake, you go to sleep at 2 a.m. You wake up at 11 a.m. You get to the field at one and you do it every single day. 
you have one off day every 30 days. You're playing 29 games a month. My body is breaking down because after games, the team doesn't provide, for the most part, nutritious food. No protein, no whatever. I got Golden Corral maybe 30 days in a row when I was playing minor league baseball. There were times where before the games, it would be hot dogs from the concession stand. So if I want to be, if I want to perform at the highest, you know, I'm trying to eat as well as I can, but maybe I can't afford to go to the grocery store because I don't have enough money because I'm being paid less than $400 a week. It was around $250 a week. I was making less than $1,000 a month and then had to pay for my own equipment and housing and, and, and all of these different things. So the environment itself isn't conducive to the continued development of, or the daily even grind of playing. Mm-hmm. And so we can work with the team. So we can work with each individual player to help provide him with as much access as possible to things that are going to help him thrive during mm-hmm. a really long season, 142 games plus playoffs when they're making less money than the bat boy. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I want to jump a little bit into, you were talking about your group of friends being very pivotal, pivotal in your career, especially for helping you thrive. What was that like? How did that camaraderie help you? Tell me, tell me a little bit more about them, both in high school and in college. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm someone who needs uh, a good, strong foundation of friends around him. I know some people can just be like have one or two, but you know, my, my group of high school friends is, is five guys. And then uh, our college group text uh, is about 10 guys and we stay in constant touch and we always talk. And there's something like this that's been really supportive just because I'm stuck at home and I don't have a job and, and, and it's more than baseball 24 seven. And it's, it's kind of like, how can I get away from the grind that is the kind of a daily life for all this? And then, um, but even when you're playing, it's like the most fun I had was at practice and then in the dugout in between innings, you know, during a game, you know, that was the fun part for me. Um, you know, and, and so that's why I, that's why I played it because of the connections that I, that I made. When you get to professional baseball, you don't, unless you're in a really good situation, that, that, that foundation of just daily friendship that you have is just isn't there. You might find one or two guys that you click with, you go eat lunch and you eat, you, you eat with them every single day. Um, but there's not that personal, I really, really care about this person sort of thing. And mm-hmm. so with, you know, kids from my high school team and with my college team, it, we, I have, I have that. And still to this day, we we bonded over how hard it was to, to play for our high school coach for sure but then um four years of college baseball kind of brings people together so uh, i'm very lucky for that and and there are guys who are in these groups that are just just thriving right there are guys in my friend group who are getting their phds at princeton and and uh who are successful you know in finance and successful in real estate and um you know I, i get to kind of push myself and compete continue to compete with not not with this finite game like it's basketball or like it's baseball but with this this infinite mindset of like I get to compete against my best friends but I get to compete a bit against like myself too and so um you know I, I think it's been healthy for me as just someone who started a business uh, for someone who wants to make a change in a space like this 
to have a constant network of support that really cares about like, you know, when someone does publish an article on you and Wall Street Journal that I don't even send it to them. Like sometimes they're like, hey, I just saw you in Wall Street Journal, like congratulations, like that's great. And so that's like the motivation for, um, it's like the validation, not from family or, or my dad or anybody like that. It's like, I wanna make sure that like my friends, the people who we used to push each other on the field can push each other like continually off the field too. I like that. That's a humongous part to thriving is having some kind of network or, or um, community that, that helps drive you. I think that's huge. I think people, it's, it's wildly underestimated. The energy and the, the encouragement that you get from there is it can be monumental in you thriving, especially in, in your definition of loving what you do and being excited to do it in the morning. I think that's, it's huge. Um, I'm going to change gears here and I'm going to ask you a pretty tough question. Hopefully, uh, hopefully something comes fast, but it, for your life, Jeremy, what's been kind of the, the biggest fork in the road or life altering experience that you've had that has helped you thrive? Probably was a quick little dip first and then, then you started thriving. What was that experience for you? Uh, physically, uh, my back has always been bad. Uh, with back pain comes leg pain. So my legs have always been bad. So physically it's doing what I can on a daily basis to make sure that my body feels good, eating the right foods and exercising properly and not lifting weights to be this huge, you know, bodybuilder, but to be functional in my movement, uh, you know, yoga and, and breathing and stretching and, you know, band work, like that stuff I did as a player and I was never muscular, but I could always hit a ball, ball further than everybody else until I got to professional baseball and I hit batting practice with Pete Alonzo. But then uh, in college and stuff, I always hit the ball further. So I knew that the way I was training my body was good, was, was efficient for me. Um, I never wanted to get injured squatting or deadlifting. Um, I still ended up having a bad back and that was due to, I think I slid wrong. Uh, maybe I was tight and I was tight because of the stress. Um, and you can't do yoga classes during a baseball season because A, you can't afford it, but B, when in the hell are you gonna do yoga when you wake up at 11.30 cause you got home at 1 a.m. the next day. So mm -hmm. the stretching and uh, the, Staying healthy in baseball was always really tough for me. Mm -hmm. And so I did what I could to just feel good that day. And I, I yeah. think that um, I think that being being good physically helps my mental state. And so like mentally, like depression has always been this motivating and driving factor of me is is if I'm happy doing the work I'm doing, I can I can I'll work all day because I just love the things that I'm doing but yeah. when I had a job that I hated I just didn't there was no motivation to get better at that job because I hated it there was no motivation for me uh, I was always wishing I was doing other things and so you know doing more than baseball something I get up excited to do every day building a business with my friends is like something I'm excited to do every single day and I'll live at home uh, <laughs> I luckily I have the excuse to live at home right now. Um, but you know, this whole, you know, I moved to Israel for the last six months and I was just enjoying kind of freelancing and, and, you know, being on the beach every single day. And I, I knew that 
making a little bit of money and living on the beach and being happy, you know, and eating hummus every day is more, is going to be conducive to my long-term and even my short-term happiness than making more money and hating my job. Um, and I can't stress that enough. Like for me, it's not being a millennial. It's not just, it's not like hating going to work every day. It's, it's choosing where I put my time and my energy. And if I, if I'm, have a job or if I don't, if I am choosing to do it instead of being forced to do it, I'm going to enjoy it more obviously. <laughs> Period. That is life. I actually teach my athletes a lot about that. As long as you're making the choice, you're going to be much more motivated and excited yeah. about it. So, yeah. So when I go back and teach high school kids and college kids, it's, it's what's something today that's going to lead to your happiness. Cause I've been unhappy. We've all, we've all gone through struggle. What's something that we can each do maybe together as a unit or individually where we can, we can find if it's a bad day or if, you know, if we're going to a field we don't necessarily like, how can we tailor it to something that we do? Like if money wasn't an issue, what would you be doing? And kind of find your way into that. I like that. Tell me a little bit more about that back injury. Uh, not necessarily like the details in it per se, but like, when did it happen? What, what did it cause for you in terms of, was it just when you were with the Mets organization or was it kind of a long-term back pain? Tell, tell us about that. Yeah, I, I, it was my first year in professional ball. I slid the second base wrong and I just didn't feel right getting up. Uh, played through it though. You know, you don't think anything of it. My legs mm -hmm. didn't hurt at the time, but I, I knew that uh, something wasn't right. You kind of get through it. You kind of forget about it because you, you think yeah. it's going away. You think it's good. And uh, at the end of the season, it started to hurt. I didn't say anything. I mentioned to the trainer, you know, I, I got a little bit of pain in my lower back. You know, he's like, oh, you know, I said some bullshit, you know, that trainers do. And so I would do my normal routine. But when I got home and I started to train in the off season, that's when something popped and felt bad in that same spot and started to get like sciatic pain down to my feet. And I was like, maybe I should go to the doctor and figure out what this is. So they found out that I had a herniated disc. They said, you could get surgery now, or you can do 10 weeks of rehab, then get ready for the season. It wasn't prehab for the season. It was rehab from my previous season. So my only off season in professional baseball was rehabbing the season prior and getting ready for spring training. I just didn't feel good. It didn't feel good in spring training. I just knew what one day it was going to pop. Um, you know, I, I, I think I performed well and maybe not. I didn't, perform, you know, I, whatever. I was an extended spring training after that. Uh, so I stayed at the complex and didn't get to a full season team. I uh, stayed at the complex, felt fine for a month or two. Uh, got to Brooklyn in June of 2017. Felt good. Like it felt like it had healed or it felt like it, the pain had gone away. Uh, end of the season, I slid again uh and um it didn't feel good the next day i'm running uh and the whole thing popped uh the disc pretty much came out uh and i felt this like liquid and this go down my leg and i knew that like my career was over uh so this was before the game like so internally felt like, you felt like, like yeah 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 it like, felt like oh that's weird it popped and then it felt like there was water draining or blood draining or whatever draining down to my feet and I couldn't stand up straight after that. It took all of my might to like get into the dugout, sit on the bench, try not to cry because it was the worst pain I'd ever felt in my life. 
um, then go to the outfield for the first inning, I knew I had to just go out there and, and I was like praying that there wasn't a ball <laughs> hit to me. And I told the center fielder like, Hey, like not feeling good. Just need this for me. <laughs> I was in Brooklyn and my family was there and I was like, I need this kind of for me. Um, so I'm in the outfield, nothing comes to me. I kind of walk back in, uh, Trey Cobb and Marcel Renteria, uh, come out of the dugout, see that I'm struggling, help me down the steps. And I walk, you know, crying, looking at the field, knowing that was my last time, like ever being on a field again. Mm-hmm. So I had the surgery, kind of rehabbed, got released before I could walk yet after the surgery, rehabbed, just felt good enough. I had a couple of independent teams calling, but I didn't want to. I just wasn't, I just wasn't ready mentally to jump back into professional baseball. Mm-hmm. I, I was like, there's other things I want to do. I, I had accomplished everything that I wanted to do in professional baseball, in baseball. I got drafted. That's all I wanted. I, I was a diehard Mets fan growing up, and I got drafted by the Mets, and it was it was yeah, great. Yeah. It was everything I had wanted it to be, um, and I I retired knowing that I had accomplished what I set out to accomplish. Um, I wasn't disappointed that I didn't make the major leagues. I was my goal was to get drafted, and everything else after that was was great. Like I knew that I was going to be okay as a person or whoever. Fast forward. Uh, I started more than baseball. It's starting to pick up steam. Uh, we had a couple NPR articles or whatever. I called the director of baseball in Israel, Peter Kurz. I go, hey, I have this nonprofit. Love to help build a field in Israel. He goes, do you want to play outfield? And I was like, yeah, for sure I want to play outfield. On what? And he's like, the Olympic team. And I was like, yeah, sure. So six months later, I'm in Israel getting my passport. Six months after that, we're in Europe playing uh, Pool B. Um, and I'm on the field again and everyone's like, um, you know, before the tournament, we kind of got up and introduced ourselves. And I was like, all I wanted was like the opportunity to prove that I can get back on a field, whether it's just an adult, you know, fast pitch or, um, you know, playing semi-professionally or against professional athletes. Um, and so I was, I'm thankful for them for giving me the opportunity to play in pool B. So we played in pool B, we won, played in pool A, we won that, the, we qualified for the Olympic tournament. Uh, in Italy, we won that, uh, and so we were getting ready to gear up for Tokyo this year, uh, which was going to be super cool. We got Ian Kinsler on our team, Danny Valencia is on our team, Nick Rickles is on our team, Blake Galen, it's Ty Kelly, it's studs, and then me. And so in my whole career kind of came full circle of this guy who had no college offers. The D3 school was like, do you want to play? Played every game in college, got drafted. Um, and now get to be on an Olympic team is, is something really cool. Um, awesome. like my personal, my personal journey in baseball, it's given me all these amazing experiences mm-hmm. that's led to, uh, at one point being the, uh, the brunt of the, the anxiety and the depression, but now the, the source of the happiness that I, that I find. I like that. That's really cool. Do you feel like your day-to-day journey matches those results that you finally got? Like uh, the, the struggling through the rehab and struggling through the, the tough parts in minor leagues or through college or even in high school, do you feel like all of your day-to-day matched what you felt like you ended up getting? I knew that the amount of work, the work would pay off. I knew that eventually the work I was doing was going to pay off. So when you're in, you know, Pulaski, Tennessee, and you just went 0 for 4 with four strikeouts, and you're just in the shower upset with 
your performance and mm-hmm. you can't let go that there was a coordinator there and there was 5,000 fans booing you and you just struck out four times twice with the bases loaded and you think you're never going to hit a baseball again. Well, I knew that a, I would get out of that slump or that eventually, but I never had like a tick. The best baseball players I ever played with were guys who struck out, put their helmet back and were perfectly fine. And I was always someone who struck out and I was like, mother, like I should have done this and I should have done that. And so there's that little disconnect between when you do fail and those guys can let it go. They fail, they run to first base or they walk back to the dugout. And from that moment you fail to getting back to your, to the dugout, right? To put your helmet back. They do something that I didn't do. And so I've, I've always been trying to figure out what separates people who think like me, who are upset at the point of failure and people who can use it to help motivate them. So I was looking backwards where those guys were looking forwards. And so I kind of take that now, either my curiosity in that, um, when I go back and help kids understand sort of the mentality of playing, but like even in like the daily grind of doing this, where I'm doing more than baseball stuff 10 hours a day, and you don't see how far you've gone until you look at like the impact that you've made. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of understanding these two philosophies of of playing baseball and basketball you'll miss a shot and you know you're going to get another shot and you know you can't think about the last shot because you have to get on defense and there's no time to think about the failure or if you're a wide receiver and you drop the ball unless it's third down there's no time to think about the dropped ball right so for him he drops the ball it's third down and he goes sits down on the bench and so he's thinking about that it's the same thought process of I dropped it to uh, I dropped it and I have another one or I dropped it. I can now focus on something else like making an error in the field. It's kind of the same, you know, Oh, I made an error. When am I going to get the ball again? I have to be ready for when I get the ball again. And if I can just wash it away, then that's really good. But if I can't wash it away, then I'm just going to make another one. And understanding that is greater than like the whole mental skills. You need to meditate before uh, a game and then you'll be really good. It's like at the, at the point of failure, like yeah. what, how can you get either through this, the, can, the canyon that is the, the problems of striking out and then walking back to the dugout and then putting your helmet back. Like in this area, how, how, can, I, um, how can I get out of, how can I climb back out basically? Yeah. Now that's like where I, when I go back and teach high school kids and, and college kids and even some middle school kids now, like how can I get them to understand this concept really quickly? And that's a lot of fun for me. So that's how I use my career to kind of give back. I like that. I like that a lot, man. I, uh, my, here's my last question for you before, as we're, as we're winding up on the podcast. This went way so fast, way too fast, so fast. I'm mixing up all my words. Um, the whole idea of Thrivecast is to help people to deliberately design a life where they can thrive in any situation, whether that's athletics, business, at home, as a parent, anywhere in between. What is your message to people? Maybe, you know, you can choose your audience, maybe just the whole world, all 7.8 billion or however many people are in the world today. 
uh, what's your message to people? How they can deliberately design a life to thrive? If you see it, if you be in a year or five. Hold on, start over. You cut out. Oh no, has Zoom Zoom struggling? If uh, no, I was saying if 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 you see it in your mind, if you meditate, or if you um, are just a daydreamer and think about you know where do I want to see myself? Where do I want to make an impact? Uh, where do I want to give back? If you if you see that and you have the courage enough to speak about it, the courage enough to put it in the universe, I think anything's possible. I think if you if you can understand, all I wanted to do was be a professional baseball player. All I wanted to do, honestly, was to get drafted. So I woke up every morning doing things that led me down the path where I know I could get drafted. Right. I saw it. I envisioned myself getting the phone call. Um, I, I would, ho- I would, I had hoped it was for another team so I could kind of get rid of my allegiance to the Mets. But I got drafted to my favorite team, and that was kind of. I always knew something like that was going to happen, but um, I had, I saw it. I always. I was like, this is why I'm doing this. This is my dream. I'm going to get drafted. I'm going to, this is something I'm going to do. Um, in the back of your mind, you think it's not going to happen, right? Because why would that happen to me? Just a division three player. Um, but I, I always knew that there were things that I was doing. If I played summer ball and you're, I was sleeping on a couch for a mo- two months in summer ball and I called my coach and he's like, you're st- you're doing well. How's it going? And I was like, well, I sleep on a couch. He goes, so what? So what? You want to get drafted? Stick it out. Do whatever you can during the game to play well. And you will get drafted. So my whole goal was to get drafted. I woke up every single day knowing I would get drafted. I didn't do my homework times because there were things I'd rather do on a baseball field because I knew I wanted to get drafted. You could ask my teachers that. I actually did an email. After I was done playing, I emailed my teachers. I was like, hey, look. I needed to get drafted. Here's the assignment that I didn't do. I felt really bad, but uh, whatever. So um, it's, I, I had the courage enough to, to speak it. Um, and I think that's what led me down. Understanding that at a very young age led me down the path of, of where I am today. So my friend who's in the major leagues, who's in AAA major leagues, has like 10 big league appearances, sees himself as a failure. I was drafted by the New York Mets, played two years of minor league baseball, and my career was a success. So it's two different mindsets. And, and he's, he's basically playing for his life and not for fun. And I was playing for my life and not for fun when I was playing. And now I look back on it and say, wow, I really did something. Scrapping for the opportunity, I did something with it. And now I'm doing something to get back to it to the game that gave me pretty much everything. And so with him, he's like, I'm, I'm going to be in the big leagues this year, but if I'm not an everyday big, big leaguer, my, my career is a failure. And I was like, well, we should kind of dissect that because that mindset is not healthy for you and you're not enjoying what you're doing in the moment where you have it. Yeah. You know, if you're, you're, giving, it, you're giving your success to, into someone else's hands and someone else's choice. 
instead of into your own. Yeah, exactly. So it, it took it took getting released to to realize that. I had got drafted, and every day after that was like, how do I impress the person who's going to bring me up to the next level? And there were days of good, right? There were days of wow, this is amazing. Mookie Wilson's throwing me batting practice, or I'm taking ground balls with Pete Alonso and Lucas Duda. Um, but you know, it, I was more caught up in the, man, this is so cool rather than I have a job to do. And it's this whole process of, man, this is so cool. Appreciating the moment you have, cause you know, it's fleeting and you know, your season, your career is going to end eventually, but then I have a job to do and I can't focus on that. And it's this weird dichotomy between, you know, not imposter syndrome, but kind of feeling like you're not worthy enough. And it's just, and I, unless you're a first through fifth round pick, even then stress is immense because you have money in you and you're expected to do all these things. Mm -hmm. For me, I put all these expectations on me instead of just playing for fun. Yeah. Um, but understanding, obviously hindsight's 2020. We hear it every podcast. <laughs> so looking yeah. back on, on my life and my career, there were things that I did that I learned from it. Just kind of noticing those little things now. Yeah. is of maybe I uh, made an error or something and you know not saying the right thing when I came back in the or not you know the pitcher would glare at me or something like that and kind of my responses weren't as good as I I know they can be now so yeah. um, every guy can kind of look back on his career and go I would have done this differently but this is how I can kind of teach the next guy behind me like these things that I learned awesome well, Jeremy, I, I loved our conversation. I love everything that you're doing with more than baseball and, and, and giving back to baseball and the whole community. I appreciate your time. And uh, I hope we'll see everybody else on the next, on the next episode. Thanks again, man. There you go. Thanks so much.